John chapter 10, and I put it in the New Living Translation. Just sometimes there's a little clarity in one in one translation or another this morning. In Sunday school, uh, we read from the complete Jewish Bible, which was rather interesting because it dealt with the law. As I was preparing the bulletin, and I put the gospel in here, and, and by the way, let me say this. The gospels aren't random. What I'm doing is giving you a chronology in time. So in other words, the, the gospel that was in last week's actually happened a little bit prior in time to this one. And I'm trying to give you a chronology in time. And as I was reading this, the more I read it and the more I read it, the more I realized how much meat there really was in here this morning. And so I just felt led like I'd like to just teach on this this morning. John chapter 10, starting in verse 22. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them away from me. For my Father was given to me, for my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now, a little bit of background here. This is taking place the winter before uh, Jesus' crucifixion. In other words, it's about this time of the year where this is taking place. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, and very shortly he will leave. He'll go to Bethany, where he'll raise Lazarus from the dead, and then he'll make a loop in Samaria, and then he'll go to Galilee, and then he'll come back to, to Jerusalem, and where he will have his triumphant entry, and then he, of course, will, will be, have his mock trial, and he will be crucified and died. So it's about this time of the year. Jesus is about three years into his ministry, and he's been doing many miracles, a lot of teaching, a lot of miracles. Um, he fed 4,000. He's fed the 5,000. He um, has healed the lame man, the blind have seen, the woman with the issue of blood, uh, the, uh, the Gadarean. And, but as we see in verse 24 and 25, there are many yet who do not believe that he is the Messiah, and they don't receive that Jesus has come from God. And if we look in verse 26, and by the way, there's about six, seven words in here that I'm going to just focus on today. But look in verse 26. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. Now, they didn't believe him, and they weren't his sheep 
I mean, they weren't a sheep because Jesus had rejected them. But it's simply that they would not believe in the miracles that Jesus had done, and they wouldn't acknowledge who he was. In other words, yeah, they saw the miracles, but they were so tied up in their religious and their religion and all of that, that they wouldn't accept that. Why? Well, because their religious, their religious leaders wouldn't accept it. And so it wasn't that Jesus rejected them. It's simply they weren't of his sheep because they wouldn't believe him. And you know, the same thing happens in a lot of lives today. I mean, we live our lives and, 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 and the, we see the Lord coming in and doing a lot of wonderful things. He keeps us many times from accidents. Many times He keeps us from financial ruin. Many times He keeps us from diseases that could uh, impale us or impair us for life or that could kill us. And yet uh, they don't and we come out of them okay. And yet we still won't acknowledge Him as our Lord and Master. We still won't acknowledge Him as Lord of our life. And instead we relegate Him to a couple of Sundays, maybe a, a month, and maybe Christmas and Easter, and, 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 and maybe uh, any emergency that might try to insert itself in our daily life. But so many times we're like those Jews. We just, I know I was. I mean, you want to be a Christian and do that? That's fine. And yet I went through Nam, four tours, never a scratch on me. Couldn't understand why, but thought it was just because I was so good looking that the Viet Cong wouldn't shoot at me. No, I mean, you know, no. but didn't know. Let's go on. My sheep listened to my voice. In other words, it wasn't that God... Re Let me say this. If you're alive today, it doesn't matter what you've done. If you're alive today and you were to call on the Lord, He said, I'd in no wise cast anyone out. I would in no wise cast anyone out. God doesn't turn us away. When we come to Him with a sincere heart, He doesn't cast anybody away. And let me say this, and God's the God of restoration. If you've made mistakes in your life, God's just waiting on you to call on Him. You know why? He'll restore what that mistake that you made took from your life. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of second and third and fourth chances. Let's go on. Verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. If you like, I would underline that word perish. No one can snatch them. I would underline snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me. And He is more powerful than anyone else. And no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. Now that's interesting. I want to... I want to focus on those things today. I want to focus on eternal life, perish, snatch, more powerful than anyone in snatch. Now, the word perish there in the Greek actually means to, to die or to destroy fully. You need to understand that the Bible teaches us that the, the, in Hebrews chapter 9, 
It says it is, an appoint, it is appointed unto man. You know what? I wonder if shaving this off of my lip is making it tough for me to speak this morning. I don't know. <laughs> it says in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto man once to die. And the Bible tells us that that which is dust goes to dust. So in other words, our natural man is going to die. And this flesh, which was created out of the dust of the earth, is going to go back into the ground. But for the Christian when he dies, the Bible teaches us that your spirit man, your inner man, goes to be with God. The Apostle Paul said, you know, I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place whether to remain here on earth and continue preaching the gospel or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And for those Christians who are on the earth, when Jesus decides to catch us away, or what's known as the catching away or the rapture of the church, when they leave this earth, then the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians that you're going to lose this body and you're going to have an immortal body. In other words, we'll recognize, the Bible says we'll recognize one another. I got news for you, Wanda. You get over there, you're going to recognize who I am. You know, I don't know. You know, it's kind of of like the woman, she made it over there and uh, St. Peter gave her a pair of skates and she said, what's that? And she said, he said, well, that's, That's your mode of transportation in heaven and the new earth has to do with your Christian life on earth. What do you mean? I went to church every day. I put money in the offering every week. He said, we didn't say often you went to church. This is how you led your life as a Christian. And he gave her the roller skates. She went off mumbling. About a week later, he saw her and she was happy and laughing and having a good time and really doing well. And he says, how come you're so happy? She said, I just saw my pastor. He was hitchhiking. So, But the natural man is going to die. For the Christian, he goes to heaven. For the non-Christian, the person who hasn't made a profession of faith, he goes to Hades, the holding place of the dead. And the Bible says then in Revelation chapter 20, that at the last judgment seat, what we're going to be judged at is to whether we get to have eternal life and go to the new heaven and the new earth, or whether we get cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, determines whether or not our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. What does that mean? Whether or not you've made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the non-sinner, he will be sent to the lake of fire, which is, the Bible says it's dark. It says there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It says there's going to be pain. And so... That's the second death. And I don't mean that to scare you. I'm just sharing with you the reality of what it is. And so the word perish means that when we receive Christ, we're not going to be completely destroyed in the sense that we get a glorified body and we get to live for heaven forever in the new heaven and the new earth. But the non-Christian, the sinner, he spends eternity in the lake of fire. And you know, that's the saddest thing about that is the Bible tells us that hell and the lake of fire was never designed for man. It was designed for the devil and his angels. Read it in the Bible. Well, let's go on. 
I give them eternal life and they will never be destroyed. No one can snatch them. The word in some cases is to pluck. It comes from the Greek word harpazo. And it means to seize or to take by force. And this refers to any and all outside forces. See, the security of being a Christian is the very fact that God is more powerful than anyone else. The Bible not only says it here, but the Bible teaches that throughout. And so understand that we cannot be forcibly taken out of God's hands. The devil can't come along one day and decide, I'm going to take you out of... He can't do that. Nobody can. But I believe we can remove ourselves. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, would you please? Page 1098, Hebrews chapter 12. No one can snatch them, take them forcibly out of my hands. But in Hebrews chapter 12, I want us to go, we're going to start in verse 7. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews, and most people believe it was the Apostle Paul, page 1098. And so he says, if you endure chastening, he's speaking to Christians, Messianic Jews and Gentiles that have received Christ. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you be without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The King James says you're a bastard without a father. Okay? Now, the moment, the moment we hear that word, chastening, we think of it in, in the terms of English. And the number one, if you look it up in the dictionary, here's what it'll tell you under chastening. To inflict suffering upon for the purpose of moral improvement. But in the original Greek, that word for chastening comes from the Greek base word to train up a child. And it means tutorage, education, or training. It does not mean inflict pain. It doesn't mean that at all. It means education or training. Now I want you to hold your finger there. Because we're going to come back to that. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Page 1085. 1085. Stay with me this morning, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. I'm going to read this and then go back. Is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right living. Okay, let me go back. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable in the Greek word that profitable meant it means ex, ex, advancement. I gotta quit doing this. Boy, shaving that really kept me from speaking right here. Means advancement or success 
in the widest application. So all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word in the Greek for doctrine is simply what you believe. In other words, teaching you what you believe. For reproof. The word reproof in the Greek comes from the base word to tell a fault. And it means simply to give evidence or proof of a fault. In other words, Owen, you're not doing this. You're not reading your Bible like you ought to. The Word of God says, study to show yourself approved. Okay, let me go on. In other words, it means to tell a fault. For reproof, for correction. The Greek word means to straighten up. Oh, I'm sorry. Why does that do that? I turned everything else down. I apologize. I understand you, I guess. Oh, boy. I'm embarrassed. Okay. For, For correction, it means a straightening up. And the last one, for instruction in right living. That word instruction in the Greek is exactly the same word as it is over there in Hebrews where it says chastening. They're exactly the same word. Exactly. It means tutorage, education, or training. And so when God, let me read it this way. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable to learn what we believe for telling us our faults, for correction, straightening us up, and for training us and tutoring us in right living. Now let's go back to Hebrews. Let's go back to Hebrews, which was uh, 1098. So if you endure chastening, understand, we just read in 2 Timothy, all scripture. In other words, when God chastens us, it's not through inflicting pain. It is not through bringing bad things on our life. If you were to go to James chapter 1 verse 17, it tells you in James chapter 1 17, that all good and perfect gifts come from God. If it's not good and it's not perfect, John 10.10 tells us the thief, the devil, comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. God doesn't do that. If we as good parents, we wouldn't go out there and break our kid's arm. We don't do that. How much more God who loves us so much... That He not only gave us His only Son, but He gave us the Messiah to die on the cross for us. He doesn't bring us bad things. He doesn't do that. Instead, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, He corrects us through His Word. In other words, that may come through a sermon. That may come through when you're reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've been reading the Bible. And all of a sudden come across something and it dawns on me. Oh, gee, I'm doing this and I shouldn't be doing that. It 
might come through when you're praying. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance uh, a scripture that you've read or a scripture that you've heard. Listen, no external force can take away your sonship. But I believe that there comes a time, a pattern, when we as Christians begin to stray. And God through His Word, whether you're watching TV, whether it's a radio program, whether it's a Christian who comes up and just shakes your hand and begins to tell you things, share with you things of God, whether you're reading the Bible, God tries to straighten you out through His Word and it convicts you inside. If you submit to that and endure that, you correct yourself, then all is well. Listen, the Apostle Paul in writing to the church at Corinth said this, listen, if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't have to be judged. I mean, what parent would there be if their kid came to them and said, listen, Mom, Dad, I need you to understand. I blew it. And this is what I did. I'm sorry. Won't happen again. Oh, great. Guess what? You judged yourself. I don't need to. You learned. Well, it's the same way with God. If we, when God begins to correct us, He doesn't correct us through bad things. He begins to correct us through His Word, bringing it up to us, showing us where we're doing wrong things. Maybe, maybe we don't read the Bible. Maybe we don't make time for God like we ought to. And He's trying to tell us, hey, you're so involved in the world that guess what? You're not taking time for me. You're missing. And it's, listen, it's not because God is mean and dictatorial. It's because God wants you as His children to be blessed. He wants to open the door so that He can can pour His blessings out upon you. What parent doesn't want their kids to be blessed and go forward? Well, God's the same way. God's exactly the same way. You know, in Malachi, when it talks about the tithe, and we've already taken the offering, don't worry about it. It says, well, a man robbed God, you've robbed me. You know how you, listen, how did I rob God because I didn't put some money in the offering? God doesn't need our money. I mean, the streets are paved of pure gold. You think He needs our money? He doesn't need our money. You know what we've robbed Him of? We've robbed Him of opening the door so God can bless us in our financial area. Now there's responsibilities when God begins to bless us that we be good stewards of that stuff. But see, God God chastens us through His Word. He'll convict us in our heart. You might be riding down the road and all of a sudden Scripture will come to mind and you'll go, ooh, boy, yeah. But we can reach a point in our life where we harden our hearts. We harden our mind to the things of God. We want our comfort of our religion, our way of life. Maybe the Lord's talking to us about our prayer life. God, I just don't have time today. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm too busy. And we harden our hearts. And when we do that, when we harden our mind and our emotions to the things of God, to His correction, 
there's a progression where we can reach a point in our life where we, where we, just as the Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. In other words, God, I make a profession of faith. I want you as my Lord and Savior and I receive you. We can reach a point and if you're sincere, then you belong to the family of God and you become a new creation as the Bible says. We can reach a point in our life where we get tired of it and we say, God, just leave me alone. Just, I don't, just leave me alone. I don't want to have to read you. I don't want to have to pray. I don't want to have to put up with that. Just leave me alone. I got too much to do. And then we take ourselves out of the family of God. We become illegitimate. The Bible says. We come out from underneath his blessings, his protection. And let me tell you something, that's not what God has for you and I. God doesn't want this town to die. God doesn't want this church to die. God doesn't want that school to die. Well, what's he got planned for? I don't know, I'm not God. And he hasn't told me. But listen, death is not God's way. If death was God's way, why did he send Jesus to die so that we could live? Why? Listen, the security of being a Christian is that we can never be taken forcibly out of the hands of God. But we have a responsibility to submit to his correction. And his correction is never injurious. If you don't take away anything else, God would never inflict pain upon you. He doesn't do that. Every good and perfect gift from, comes from God. But we can harden our hearts to where we're no longer tender to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we've talked about your word and how that no one can snatch us out of the hand and I thank you for that there's confidence in that but Lord I never want to reach a pace in my life where I don't listen to your correction to your tutelage, to your training I want you to train me in your ways because your ways are better. Your ways have peace. Even in the darkest times, your ways have peace. And there's a comfort even in the darkest, darkest times. I know you haven't left. Lord, help us this morning as we leave to understand, first of all, that your chastening is not that you inflict injury upon us. You would never do that. You gave your son to keep us from that. Now, number two, you love us. And that we leave with the resolve that we want to remain tender and open to your tutelage to your training, 
to your education and training us into living your way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.